This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey everyone, I'm Meg Teets and this is Sorta Awesome. Hello and welcome back, Awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We're in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. And you can also find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. This is episode 119 of the show, and we think you're really going to love this one, kind of like how we love our listener supporters. All of you super awesomes, you know who you are, and your $5 a month, all of it adds up to make a big difference in keeping this show going. And so if our show, our recommendations, our community, if any of that has added to your life, we would love for you to consider supporting us by going to sortaawesomeshow.com slash support. You will get access to all of the exclusive episodes we create for our supporters, plus a private Facebook group we created just for our super awesomes. So again, you can find out more details on how to become a listener supporter over at sortaawesomeshow.com slash support. So yes, this is episode 119 and hail, hail, the gang is all here. I have with me today all three of my beautiful and very wise friends for a group show. That means I have here with me Rebecca Hoffer of SimplyRebecca.com. Hello, Rebecca. Hi. And I have the big sister that we all wish that we had, the very lovely Kelly Gordon. Hi, Kelly. Hey, Meg. And everyone's favorite Hollywood housewife and the host of the Smartest Person in the Room podcast, Laura Tremaine. Hi, Laura. Hello, hello. So more often than not, when we get together for a full team, full on awesome episode, we do tend to get a little bit silly. But this episode is one that is less silly and more practical. I am so lucky to have such smart friends. And today I'm asking them how they make decisions for life in this digital age that we are living in. So we're going to share our thoughts on family privacy, the digital or pen and paper planner debate. That was some really tricky alliteration. I want everyone to pause and appreciate. (laughs) as well as our best practices for our mobile phone organization, all of those little digital decisions that we all have to make, but sometimes wonder, am I even doing this right? Or is there a better way? So that's what we're going to get to today. But first, let's start this show the way we always do with our Awesomes of the Week, that moment in the show when we each share with you all the books, the TV shows, the podcast, music, 
whatever it is that's making our lives a little bit more awesome this week. Rebecca, why don't you kick us off? Well, my awesome of the week is the program 1,000 Books Before Kindergarten. I don't know if I've ever even heard of this. Tell me all about it. Well, this is a nationwide program. It's also an app that you can download onto your phone. And the concept is this. It is made to encourage parents, caregivers, aunts, uncles to read more to your children and to have a goal set to read 1,000 books before your child enters kindergarten. So we know that... This is according to the 1,000 Books Before Kindergarten website. They say the most important predictor of school success is being read to at home during early childhood. And I think we know that, right? I mean, we are smart women. Our awesomes are smart. We know that reading is important. But I feel like sometimes it's kind of nice to have a little bit of added incentive or added accountability. So this is how the program works. If you can go to your local library and you can look and see if they offer this program or you can download the app and basically you just keep track of all of the books that your kids read. Now, on one hand, writing down every single book that your child reads, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I get a little bit tedious, uh-huh, but then yes. my local library has rewards along the way. We get a paperback book after you accomplish reading 500 books, you get a hardcover book after a thousand, and they also have a celebration at the end of the year for all of the kids who have met their goal of reading a thousand books. And you can count one book multiple times. They just want your child to have a thousand experiences reading a book. It can be the same book 500 (laughs) times. It does not matter. You just write it down. Yes. That's so amazing. I was sitting here thinking, huh, I wonder if all 25 times I've read that book would count. Yes. So yeah, that's so good to know. So there's three reasons why I really like this program. First, it turns reading into something that we can celebrate with our kids. So it's fun for them and it just is positive reinforcement with reading. Number two, it creates accountability for adults who are struggling to read, maybe to a reluctant reader, or you're finding yourself really busy. You're like, I know this is important. I know this is something I should make time for. But then you just kind of forget. If you're writing it down and keeping track, you can look back and see, oh, guess what? It's been like two weeks since I read a book to my kid. Maybe I should make sure to set some extra time aside at bedtime tonight to sit down and read some books. Number three, it pats us on the back when we're already doing it well. And don't we all just kind of want somebody to say, hey, good job, right? (laughs) Yes, definitely. Yes. So I've already done this program with my older children. With Grace, she loved books. I'm not kidding. They have been her favorite toy like since before she could talk. She loved Mm -hmm. sitting with a pile of books. So we zipped through it in 10 months. And honestly, we probably got it done earlier, but there was times where we were on vacation or I just missed out writing down books, but we whipped through it. So I was getting that pat on the back of, yay, mama, you're doing good already. Got it done in 10 months, which is super fast. With Noah, it took us a year and 10 months, and I just started it with Isaac. I started it last Tuesday. We've read two books, so <laughs> it might take us a little bit longer with Isaac. Those poor you younger guys. children. I know. I was going to say the babies, the twins. It's okay. Oh, They're still good. Yes. You guys, if reading to your kids is like the biggest predictor of how well they're going to do in school, then my kids are screwed. <laughs> I did not read to my kids very often when they were little. I didn't. It surprises me because you're a super reader, but 
Maybe I'm not a so super much for the reader of my book. books. I don't like little kid books. <gasps> but you know, you might have read. Yeah, I'm just ignoring that atrocity she just said. But you might have read more than you think you do because if you just read one book a night, and I'm not saying you did, but that's 365 books. Like it goes by quick, and you have like five, six years to read. A thousand books before kindergarten. Like you might so, have made a bigger dent in it than you think you did. I will do the math though. If I read like one book a month, so we're at like forty-eight. <laughs> you didn't have the app. I mean, clearly, she's this like, could what about if I changed up audiobooks and like put those in my kids' ears? They're still getting read too. Well, that's a good point, Kelly, because they do say that if you have other caregivers in your house or if, you know, they go to a story time, if they're getting read books at, you know, like church or something, like all of those experiences, they actually count. So, you know, anyway. But hey, so if Awesomes are interested in this, you can go to 1000booksbeforekindergarten.org and that's the number. So it's one zero 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 booksbeforekindergarten.org. You can go there to read all about the program and to find a library that's close to you that's participating. And it's fun, too, when they have added incentives. You know, that makes it even more fun. So go for it. Definitely. Definitely. Good stuff. Thank you, Rebecca. Kelly, how about Awesome of the Week for you? Oh, you guys, my Awesome of the Week is Advent Calendars. And oh, my gosh, I kind of hate myself right now, honestly, (laughs) for saying this. Because one of my most unpopular opinions is my strong dislike for the lengthy and overwhelming Christmas season. But this really is my awesome of the week. And there are two reasons. One is they do make a really fun gift. But the more pressing thing is, if you're going to get some of these fun advent calendars that I'm going to talk about for your kids, or even for you or somebody else in your life, you have to buy them right now. You have to buy them really before the second week of November, or they're all sold out. Every Mm. place sells out. So here's what I want to tell you. If you have not already stumbled upon this world... You can go to Target or Walmart. You could look on Amazon.com. There are all these big toy makers who make advent calendars for kids. So my favorites are Lego. Lego makes a, it's like Lego City, that line makes an advent calendar. So it's all these kind of Christmas things. And kids are counting down every day between Thanksgiving and Christmas. They get to open a little window and there's like a a tiny little figurine. It might be a mini fig. It might be a little Christmas tree, something that you're going to make that's Christmas related. So they get a new tiny little toy every day. So we have done this before, and my kids thought it was the best thing ever. But let me tell you first some of the other ones that you could get today. Besides the Lego City, you can get Lego Star Wars, which, I don't know, the Star Wars hype is going to start getting pretty big here in December. So Mm -hmm. I think my teenager probably would just geek out over that. There's a Playmobil set of advent calendars. They have one that's just a Christmas village, and they have one that's an ice skating trip. They have some for the little kids among us. There's Paw Patrol has one. There's one of little people. If your kids like those, it's all Christmas related. I don't know how to say this, but I know it's super popular that the Disney, is it Sum Sum? Like T-S-U-M? Yeah, we will say Zoom Zoom, but I don't know if that's right Zoom or Zoom. Not. Okay, see, I'm past that. My youngest is way yeah. past kindergarten. I hope I got my books in because <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I'm out of that game. Um, but they have one for those. There's just so many out there. They're really, really fun. They're all in about the $25 to $40 price range. And I'm not kidding you, they will sell out. So if you're like me the last few years, oh, that would be kind of fun. Maybe I should get that and just make that be a Christmas gift for somebody. And then you can't find them and they're on the black market for like $80. (laughs) Seriously. 
I have a dumb question. Mm-hmm. Isn't Advent religious? I don't understand Advent calendars that are like commercial Lego. It is technically that's true. Advent would be a more of a religious term, but so would Christmas, and it doesn't always have anything to do with religion anymore. So this is just a gift that helps kids count down the days to Christmas. So I know, and here's the thing, is there are these really fun Advent calendars for kids. And what I might do this year is just get one and let my kids try to split it. So, but they're doing them now for adults too, because I really think this whole idea of like getting a gift, because just Christmas isn't enough. And this is where my inner Scrooge comes up. But, you know, where we want to have more and more gifts. So they have, I'm going to need some of our UK awesomes to go check this out. Aldi is doing a wine advent calendar for adults, but only in the UK. You can't get it in America yet. They're sampling it. So tiny little bottles of different wine every day in this calendar for adults. There's one at Costco that's a German beer advent calendar. So, oh my gosh. Oh yeah. And then there's even more. There's nail polish, you know, like there's stuff that you could get for adults. So here's what I love. I don't really love to count down the days to advent. It stresses me out. But I do think for kids, it's fun. And for adults, it could be fun. And probably my favorite thing is that you have then maybe gotten a gift for somebody that you don't have to worry about anymore. So for example, I could get my brother the beer advent calendar and mm. give it to him on Thanksgiving and be like, and Merry Christmas, you're done. Like that gift is done. I can so, see that. But this is a really, <laughs> if you're going to do it, you have to go do it now. And I think I'm jumping on the bandwagon too. So it really is, even though I sound like this is my most hated awesome of the week. <laughs> is that a category? I was going to say, this is the most conflicted I have ever heard you be about <laughs> You're awesome of the week. Sounds like she's going to like start swearing at any moment. I have self-loathing about this awesome of the week, but I wanted to share it with all of you. Okay. When you said advent calendar, I just, I wanted to throw up almost because it stresses me out so much. It's (laughs) not even Halloween. I got to get through Halloween. But no, I hear what you're saying. Practically speaking, that totally makes sense. And they do sell out. So that's why I'm saying it to people. Don't do what I've done the last few years where I think, oh, that would be fun. Maybe I'll do that this year. And then they're gone. All right. Thank you, Kelly. All right, Laura, awesome of the week. What do you have? My awesome of the week is a book. And more than a book, it's like a tome. It's like 700 pages. Oh, wow. It's a lot. It's called The Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. You guys familiar with Tim Ferriss? He's sort of like, he's very famous, like business self-help guru, like on the business side, he originally was famous for the four-hour work week, but he's also written the four-hour body, the four-hour chef. He has an incredibly popular podcast with like over a hundred million downloads. He's a speaker, that kind of thing. He wrote this book last year, came out last year called The Tools of Titans. And it's not a traditional book, you know, that you read front to back. It's split into three sections called Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise. So there's like a health section a wealth section, and a wisdom section. And it's kind of just like the very best nuggets from all the people that he has interviewed. He's talked to so many people, either on his show or for his blog, which was also very popular, or for the different books that he's written. So he's talked to really famous, like either CEOs or super athletes or all kinds of people who are like excel in their world. So he's taken the best parts of those interviews 
and condense them into this book. So each person has either one or two pages or some of the people have, you know, four or five pages. But it's just little nuggets, like the best quotes from them or their, maybe like their morning routine or whatever. Mm. What I like about it is a few things. One is I like to read nonfiction in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yes, so it's kind of my routine to get up, have a little bit of caffeine, and read some kind of nonfiction, either inspirational or self-help or business advice or something that just kind of gets my juices flowing for the day. I read all kinds of books this way and post about them when I do, but this is the absolute perfect thing for that because it is just little nuggets. Right. And yeah. it's only a couple of pages. So if I have a little more time, I'll read, you know, three or four of them. But if you only have like five minutes, honestly, you can just read, you know, kind of skim these and be like, oh, that's a great idea or that's a great piece of advice. And he's just broken it up really, really well. The other thing that I like about this book is it makes a great gift. That's what I was going to say. This sounds like a perfect gift. It's a really good gift. It's not pretty like a coffee table, really. It's not my aesthetic. It's sort of utilitarian looking (laughs) the way that it looks. But for like men, women, business owners, you know, health nuts, like whatever, you don't have to be an entrepreneur, even though I think that that's a lot of Tim Ferriss's audience is he's sort of going after business people. But it's so much more than that, especially if there's like a lot of health stuff in there or just sort of inspirational or just thought provoking. Like some of the CEOs, I'm not going to listen to what they're saying about investing money because that's like, you know, maybe not where my mind is right now, but they will also give a little thing about like unplugging from, you know, Mm -hmm. life balance type of thing. So there's like just so much information that each person imparts. And again, these are people playing at the top level. I just take so much from it. A lot of these people I haven't heard of just because I don't know a lot of people in the business world, but there are quite a few famous people that you know, sort of everybody knows Olympic athletes or that kind of thing. Even the people that I've never heard of, again, you're taking something of value. And I really like how he has condensed, you know, it's almost like the best podcast episode you've ever listened to in one page. Right. Yeah, that sounds incredible. That would be a fantastic gift. It's a really it's a really good gift, but also I'm just taking a lot from it. And I have marked it up a bunch. I've put little post-it flags. They're sticking out of my edition right now. And it's just one of those things you could always sort of come back to. You know, you could just like open it up to any page almost and be like, "Oh, huh, that's interesting." And then keep it moving. Yes. Good one. Good one. And it's called Tools of Titans. It's called Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. Excellent. One to keep an eye out for, for sure. All right. My awesome of the week this week is a podcast episode. It is episode 25 of the Smartest Person in the Room podcast. Yes, that's right. Full disclosure, Laura, that is your podcast. I partner with you in helping to get the behind the scenes production done like editing. But so episode 25 is eating disorders with dietitian Nicole Avila. I started working on this episode to edit it and get it ready to drop. And I knew that Laura was really excited about how this interview turned out. And I was really interested to hear it. I had no idea how deeply it was going to impact me on a personal level. Laura, sort of the main thesis of your conversation with Nicole is when it comes to eating disorders, it's not about the food, that it's really hardly ever about food, that it's about some 
much bigger things that are going on. And I found that to be very instructive just to learn about. But it was what Nicole talks about in terms of disordered eating that was hugely impactful for me. She kind of talks about how all of us have like some little disordered eating practices that we have taken up. You know, anything from like doing, she talks about like maybe you're going on a beach vacation and you do two months of a juice cleanse before you go so that you can fit into your swimsuit the way you want to look, things like that. But she also talked about some more specific things that I was like, oh, I didn't realize that's a problem. Things like using food as a reward for yourself, labeling some foods as being really bad or creating rules for yourself about your eating based on, you know, like this kind of food is bad. I'm not going to ever eat this kind of food again. And she basically talked about how any kind of eating practices that you create for yourself that goes against our natural biology is really indicative of disordered eating. And that just really landed with me. It really, I went into this episode thinking like, oh, this is a really good thing to learn about, especially because I'm a parent. I have soon to be teenage girls. I want to know about this for them and for their friends. But as I was working on this episode and listening to what she said, I started thinking about all of the eating plans that I have adapted for myself, where I fully deprive myself of big categories of certain types of food. And not for any medical reason, not like I have an allergy, an actual allergy or any kind of medical reason, but I had just become convinced in my mind that they were bad and had really deprived myself of some very normal parts of eating healthily. So anyway, it was very, very eye-opening. More than anything, just made me aware of some things that I had never really thought about for myself. So, you know, we called that episode, we titled it Eating Disorders because that topic is very close to my heart because of some family stuff. And then also because she's a dietitian that specializes in eating disorders. But what the conversation is actually about is about all the little steps that lead to an eating disorder. People do not mm -hmm. wake up one day in the throes of a raging eating disorder. There is many steps of disordered eating along the way that they restrict themselves from this, or they make a rule about this, or their mom taught them this about food. Yes. And there's all these little things that then they right. add up and you know bring in some other life factors and you end up with an eating disorder. Mm. But what the episode is about is really about disordered eating, which I think is something yeah. we all struggle with. Mm. Yes. I would yeah. agree. I totally give a second to your Awesome of the Week, Meg, because it was a fantastic episode. And I really think that whether you care about eating disorders or not, everyone should be aware of disordered eating. Yes. So again, that's episode 25 of Smartest Person in the Room. We are doing a whole series about mind-body connections, which has been fascinating. But if you'd like to check out that specific one, we'll have a link in the show notes for all of our Awesomes of the Week, of course. But you can go and check out episode 25 from Smartest Person in the Room. So those are our Awesomes of the Week, a big double dose of awesome for you all this week. Don't forget that every single Friday in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group, we ask you guys, our awesome community, to share what has been awesome in your life. And you can always find us on Facebook by searching Sorta Awesome Hangout. Hey, Awesomes, I know that if it were up to you, you'd never have to make a last minute dash to the store for your monthly period supplies ever again. 
Support for this episode of Sorta Awesome is brought to you by Lola. And Lola is all about putting a stop to those last minute freak out store runs by shipping your monthly period products right to your door. Now, y'all know I have been a customer of Lola for years because all of their products are made from 100% organic cotton. I also love that Lola subscriptions are fully customizable, so you can choose your mix of products your perfect mix of absorbency, how often it's delivered, and you can change up your shipment at any time or skip a month if you need to. The team at Lola wants you to know how awesome it is to have 100% organic cotton feminine care products shipped right to your door each month, and they are offering 60% off your first order when you go to mylola.com and enter promo code AWESOME60, that's the word AWESOME and the number 60, when you subscribe. So to check out Lola and get 60% off of your first order, go to mylola.com and enter promo code AWESOME60 when you subscribe. Thanks so much to Lola. All right, so here we are, women who have been working online, really, in some context or another for pretty much the past decade, which means the four of us have had to make a lot of decisions about our digital lives. But even if your work has nothing to do with the internet or being online, all of us in this current culture have a lot of decisions to make. And I think one of the first decisions we all have to make is how we're going to handle privacy, our own personal privacy, privacy for our family. For example, do we feel okay with sharing pictures of our kids on the internet? If we talk about our children or if our spouses, even our partners, our friends, do we use their real names? Are our families a central part of our online presence? Do they only show up from time to time? So there's a lot of decisions to be made about privacy when we are all online and connected to the internet so much. Rebecca, of the four of us, you are someone who is actively blogging. So these are some of the decisions you've had to make and are maybe continuing to make. So I would love to hear kind of what your thoughts have been about kids on the internet, family privacy, all of the decisions you've had to make in this realm. Yes, this is definitely something that has changed over time for me. And it's something that I anticipate will continue to change. I think something that I hear very often is, you know, there's a difference between sharing cute little baby toddler photos and sharing your teenager's photos. Like at some point there needs to be somewhat of a shift there. And I'm still at the stage where I feel like, um, you know, Laura and I have children in very similar ages, but yet I still feel like my kids are still very young. You know, I have an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and then Isaac is just nine months old. So I anticipate that some of the things that I even say today will be different maybe next year, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But to start off, you know, I started blogging in 2009, and I never expected to, well, I'm not sure how to say this, but just to say I never expected to be big. <laughs> not, <laughs> not that I would label myself that way today, but that wasn't an expectation that I had. I knew that people were making money online by blogging, but I was like, there's no way that's ever going to happen to me. I finished my first year of blogging with 25 people subscribed to my blog, and I knew every single one of them. Mm, right. So yes. the idea that there would be strangers reading my blog and like lots of them just was unimaginable for me. So when I started out blogging, I, yeah, I started sharing pictures of my daughter. I used her name. I didn't think twice about it. And then as my blog continued to grow and I started to become more aware of other people reading, 
strangers reading, I started thinking more along the lines of, well, actually, I see that there's other bloggers who don't use their kids' names or they give them nicknames. That seemed to be a very common thread for a long time is that I saw bloggers giving cutesy little nicknames to their kids. And I was like, well, is that something I should be doing? And I really, truly was not sure. But I made the decision to look to the bloggers who I saw as those that were ahead of me in the game. So specifically, mm-hmm. Tish Oxenrider, I looked to her and Crystal Payne, and I saw, well, hey, they share pictures of their children. They use their names. They have a whole lot more people <laughs> looking at their blogs than are sure, looking at mine. Yes. I'm just going to trust their judgment because I don't know what other decision to make. While there are some precautions that I continue to take, like I try not to share pictures that show the front of my house and Mm. I don't take any pictures at my children's school or with their school logos, but I'm confident that if somebody wanted to find me, (laughs) that they could. I think like, and I just don't think anybody wants to is the bottom line. (laughs) Right. You don't think you're very stalkable? (laughs) Well, I guess not. I'm just not super fearful in that way in general. So that's the path that I've taken. Now, in general social media, that's not business related. You know, my family's very far away. And so I choose to share things and... I think that's just going to probably continue to stay that way. I'm very private about who I accept friend requests from on my personal Facebook page. Instagram is wide open. My blog's Facebook page, wide open. Twitter, wide open. But I keep a pretty tight door on my personal Facebook. And I think I can kind of see that continue to be more of a, in quotes I say, safe place for me to continue to share things about my kids. So totally ultimately, I, yeah. I think we're probably all messing this up to some extent, <laughs> <But we're, laughs> which we'll find just, out years later. Yeah. yeah, we'll find out about all of our mistakes down the road. It's too early to tell. <laughs> yes, yes. OK, I totally, totally relate to so much of what you're saying there. Rebecca Kelly, how about you? How have you and how are you handling just kind of general privacy issues with your family? Well, I am in that next stage that Rebecca's talking about. And I think that really, if I was going to boil it all down as I was thinking about this, looking back when I did blog a lot about being a stay-at-home mom and you know my kids and the interactions that we had there, it would be where I am now is I don't build my brand on my kids. Mm, so yes. as someone who yeah. works online and is conscious of my own digital footprint and the work that I do online in many different mediums... The place where I am today, having teenagers, having kids in elementary school is I do mention them. They are in my Instagram stories. Um, I use the selfie that my daughter will take of herself with my phone. You know, I don't hide them. I use their names. I've always used their names. The cutesy titles that were a big thing a decade ago drove me bananas. So I couldn't even ever <laughs> even pretend to do that. If I was going to enter the blog world, they were not going to be Captain Underpants and Miss Princess Case. Like, no, no, I just couldn't. So I made that decision right away. And my husband, who is super ultra private, super, super ultra private, didn't really think that was a smart idea. But as I've gone forward, I've said, look, and this is still where I am to some degree, they live in a digital world. I am someone who lives in a digital world. I shop online. I work online. I make friends online. I cannot pretend that they are not a part of my life. 
And I don't really know that I'm doing them all that many favors by pretending that they don't exist online as well. You know, there are people mm. who I have seen some people say, you know, I just don't want my kids to have any digital footprint by me. They get to make that themselves. But the thing is, so let's say you don't ever mention your kids, they're a complete newbie, they turn 13 and they get social media accounts. Do you think that they're going to make all the wise decisions then? Right. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, there's definitely nothing magical about turning 13 and having all the wisdom. Right. We all make mistakes <laughs> how to do it. with yeah. our digital footprint. We all say, oh, I probably shouldn't have shared that much. I probably shouldn't have put that picture up. And our kids will too. So in that sense, I think our kids are going to understand when they look back and see some of the things that maybe we shared or that we have now taken off the internet, but we can say, hey, look, I did put this online at one point. They're going to say, yeah, I've made some mistakes too. You know, we are all learning in that together. So I have made the decision because I'm somebody that's online and that I don't want to live offline, that they are a part of my life. Now, when I say I don't build my brand on my kids, what I'm saying is, is that my role as their mom is not my primary reason for being on the internet. Oh, okay. So yeah, that makes sense. I think that it's possible for sure in the early days of blogging that whole mommy blogger idea, we blogged about being moms. And there was a connection point there about being moms. That was the reason we were online, was to share our mommy life, was to share our kids, was to share the horrible diaper stories and you know the too much laundry and not enough sleep last night. I can't tell somebody else that they can't do that, but I would no longer do that. And of course, at the ages that my kids are now, I would no longer do that anyway because they need more privacy. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I crossed that line a long time ago where I said there's way too much going on in their lives for me to be able to share how I parent them, what they're going through. So, you know, again, they're online, but I'm not building my brand on them. Makes so much sense. Laura, you have a different approach because your context and situation is pretty radically different from the rest of us. So you've had to make different decisions early on. So I would love to hear how you have approached this with the uniqueness of your family situation. Well, my overall philosophy when I'm making these choices has been that to a certain extent, their story is my story. Mm -hmm. Like, I think mm -hmm. when people refuse to put anything online about their kids with the excuse of, it's not my story to tell... Like, that's yet another example of mommy martyrdom. Like, I think oh, when yeah. you erase yourself out of the story because you are, quote unquote, protecting your kids, I don't think that's beneficial to you as a human or necessarily even really to them. Right. Because you are making yourself smaller or more invisible. And I mean that if you're like wanting to share. I guess a person who has no desire to share, this is less of a conversation. But for people who do want to share, I am eternally grateful for the mommy bloggers who blogged about all the things, their postpartum, their struggles, the sleep stuff, the diaper stuff, the breastfeeding. Like I could not have made it through the early years of my mommydom if there were not people who were putting that stuff out on the internet. So true. I just, I think it is so important for women to be sharing some of this stuff. And a lot of that involves our kids. I understand why at a certain point you're not going to share the kids' personal struggles as they get older, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't think that means you cannot share things about your family life that involve you. You know, like if you can say, I am struggling being the mom to a teenager, 
this is what's going on in my head. It is hard to understand this culture, whatever. I don't even know what angle you would take. But I do wish that people would continue talking about themselves as much as they can without crossing a boundary with their kid. My kids are still little, but I'm already, like Rebecca said, I'm already starting to see those changes enough to know that it does start to get to be sticky territory. But I also think that there's just like a complete drop in teenager moms sharing on the internet, even about themselves, for these reasons that we're talking about. And that is a detriment to other moms. That's my Mm. personal opinion is I'm like, oh, and then we all get lost. We all get into the weeds again as our kids get older. So that's hard. I will say that one thing that I have talked about with my friends, and I think I agree with what you're saying, Laura. I think that when you are a new mom, it really is more about you. And the older and older they get and they have more of a consciousness, more of a life, the more that we are trying to give them independence and we're trying to respect their autonomy. So one of the things that you can do is ask them. So even my nine-year-old, who isn't really in those teenage years yet, but right now she's so conscious of me posting things online that if I take any picture or video, she'll say, are you putting that online? And she'll say, I don't want to be online. I don't Mm. want that to go online. I don't want that memory. And I'm like, it's a really cute picture. She's like, no. So I'm respecting her wishes and I'm trying to do a better job with her and for sure with my teens of asking their permission. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's say there was some sort of a huge family drama that really it is their story. It is not my story. Although I have a story that interacts with theirs, how I react to it, right? I could go to my teen and say, could I write about this? But if they said, no, no, I don't want to talk about, I don't want it to be in the public. No, then I would respect their wishes. So I think that really what happens is a lot of moms are try to find the middle balance. You know, between Mm -hmm. saying, I do want to be able to still be a voice, exactly what you're talking about, having that community, hearing the stories of other moms, feeling not alone, learning the wisdom. But once you get teenagers, it's so much harder to do on an online public space. It becomes something that I do over coffee. I hear you. I absolutely hear you and agree that a teenager's boundaries especially should be respected because it's such a tender time in your life. I fully agree with that. I also know there's a lot of people who don't have anybody to have coffee with. And they are Mm -hmm. looking online to be like, what do I do with my teenager who's suddenly done this? Or I am feeling this way, like my teenager's about to graduate and I don't know who I am anymore. Or, you know, I don't even know the myriad of issues that a mom could write about that doesn't expose their child, but still keeps them in the sharing game. I just... I'm Mm -hmm. all about women and moms sharing because I think that that's like, that's been the biggest benefit to the whole internet for me as a human and for a lot of people that we know. Now, my personal story is a little different because my husband is a producer and a director and he has quite a large fan base. So when I started blogging. And I did that because I liked to write. I was a new mom. My baby was just a few months old when I started and I was desperately lonely and looking for connection. So I started a blog and I made the choice then that we've sort of laughed about is I called them the cutesy little names. (laughs) They were at least single word cute. You have to say yours weren't as cutesy as some. (laughs) They weren't like really elaborate cute, but they were not great, but... (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I wasn't reading you back then. What were they? So I called my little girl Pigtail, and that had a story behind it. And then I called my little boy Pirate. So they were Pigtail and Pirate for a while. 
But like you said, Rebecca, when I started, I was like, I'm not going to be doing this into their teen years. So like. Well, yeah, (laughs) this is just for like a moment in time. Right. (laughs) When you make those decisions, you are not looking five years into the future. I wasn't. Also, I did have a legitimate security concern. Not that we have a security struggle. We don't have an actual struggle, but we just have to be very aware that there are people out there who might be extra interested in our family. And so I just thought, look, I don't feel the thing about like, I'm not going to let my kids have a digital footprint, but I do feel the thing of like, well, I'm going to work with what I have. I'm not going to make their name so instantly Googleable. Mm-hmm. Mm, right. Right. So right, I'm right. sharing about mm-hmm. them and our family and whatever, but like once they get to Google age, <laughs> that it, yes. you know, their blowout diaper story doesn't come up first type of thing. Exactly. So so that was sort of my thought on that matter. And in terms of other privacy issues, I do regret giving them those names. I would still not have used their names. I still feel confident in that decision. I don't use their names now, but I would not have given them the cutesy names. I would have just called them, I don't know what. There's other people who I've seen who have called them like, you know, the girl or the boy or whatever, like something that would have just sure. been like more Or people generic. will just make up a name, you know, like it's not their real name, but they're, you know, Charles and Annie on the internet, even though that's not their real names. Totally. I mm-hmm. could have called them something else entirely and not gotten to where we were all embarrassed by it a few years later, which is what <laughs> happened. And But at least so, yours didn't have a theme. I feel like there were some that I read and I'm so sorry if this is you, if you're listening right now and you're like, that was me. But they would like pick all superhero names or all, I don't even know. Yours were just there. They weren't so bad. Yeah. Anyway, I don't use those names very often at all. Although sometimes I have people who've read me for a long time who will call them that in the comments, which I think is like cute and just like a fun part of what this whole community has become. I do try to do... In terms of other security things, it's not just about the kids, but I do think we should be mindful of very obvious digital decisions. Like my husband has been gone for five weeks. He came back yesterday. Well, I did not post that he was gone. Right. Yes. The whole, you know, now he's home. So I feel like I can say it. And often when we travel, I do love to post pictures of our travels. I almost, I'm always... A day behind usually. So like Mm. I don't post about the cool hotel we stayed in until after we've checked out. Mm, Right. So I always – I'd love to share that stuff or even like a great restaurant we had, anything. I'm usually about it. I have a day or two lag usually. And then just say like, oh, a couple days ago we ate here or whatever. I just try to be mindful of general security. The other point I want to make is I'm a big, humongous fan of Lenore Skenazi's book – Free Range Kids. Mm-hmm. Yes. If yes, you have yes. not read Free Range Kids, please go read it. I operate free range as much as possible within our family circumstance of like, you guys, nobody wants to kidnap your kids. <laughs> like, they don't. And, and if they, I mean, if any danger posed to your children is most likely not going to be from a stranger on the internet. Right. It's right. most likely going to be from someone that they actually know in your circle of friends and acquaintances. Absolutely. We had a digital expert, Lori Getz, come and talk to our school last week. I tweeted a whole thing about it because I was fascinated by everything she had to say. And one of the things that she had to say is teaching our kids about stranger danger is so misplaced that most strangers are not dangerous And most danger comes from people who are not strangers. 
mm-hmm. to our That's kids. Right. And so we have this fear because of TV and 24-hour news cycle that our kids are in danger of being kidnapped at every moment. Yes. And they're simply not. Stranger abductions, the statistics on that are just absolutely so minimal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So these are the kinds of decisions and the kind of information that we really, you know, realistically need to be implementing. I know for me, my approach to family privacy changed radically between my older two girls and when the twins were born. My daughters were eight and almost six. Is that right? Yes. When the twins were born. And in that time in between all of that, I began, especially when I was pregnant with the twins, I began to really think about and realize how much very detailed information and detailed stories I had told about my girls and just about our approach to family life on the internet. And there was a sort of defining moment for me when before the twins were born, there was almost like a mini email campaign towards me, I felt like, with people sending me information about boys and circumcision. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, wow, this is really personal. Why do people feel like they can... (laughs) approach me with all of this information. And then I kind of took a step back and I was like, well, because I've talked about very personal aspects of our family life for years on the internet. So of course, people feel like she won't mind and she would even want to have me be a voice in this conversation that's obviously very limited to a few few people making these decisions. So that was when I was like, okay, I am not going to write in detail about our family life. I mean, I wrote a book about parenting where Daisy, our oldest, was like one of the stars of the book in a sense. It was about my parenting experience with her. So in a lot of ways, the toothpaste was out of the tube a long time ago for my children with their privacy. <laughs> but I did decide I'm going to speak more generally. And I do think going forward to kind of speak to what Laura was saying in terms of when we enter into teenage parenting or even just discussing about some of the issues that are relevant in general in our culture what I hope to be able to do is do a blend of like Kelly said, I always ask my kids if it's okay if I put pictures of them on the internet or tell stories or whatever. But, and so there's definitely that consent aspect of it, but also just not checking out of the conversation, but being a lot more general and not revealing things that would be personal and private to them. So that's kind of the barometer that I have started to use. And it really has become much more concrete as the kids have gotten older and the issues that we're talking about have changed. So there's definitely room for revisiting decisions and kind of making it up as you go along, which I think is what a lot of us are doing. Right. I think we are. We're learning like what Rebecca said, you know, I'm sure we're all screwing it up and we're all doing things that are right, but we have hopefully good intentions. Yes, definitely. Well, one area where we do not want to screw things up (laughs) is keeping ourselves kind of organized and keeping track of all of the things that we're juggling, home life, work life, kids activities, personal time, figuring out how to stay organized. There's so many options. You can get overwhelmed, decision fatigue, just about how to keep track of your decisions once you start to do a little bit of research. So I would love to know from each of you all, are you online digital calendaring people? Do you use or do you use pen and paper the old fashioned way? Or is it a little bit of both? Rebecca, again, you're somebody who has a very active online work life and also very active family life. So I'd love to hear how you're doing this. 
So my schedule is kept through Google Calendar. My husband and I have separate and then shared calendars that we can access. We have a general family calendar. My husband's work schedule has a lot of evenings and weekends, times when he's working late. And what we used to do was we used to have these calendar meetings where we would sit down and we would look weeks and months ahead and I would write down on my paper calendar things that he told me were coming up and that's how we manage things. But I found myself feeling like at any moment I couldn't schedule something for myself as the primary person who was, you know, with the kids because he was expecting me to, you know, be with the kids if he had something work-related, as I would and should be. But then when it came time for me to, like, schedule a haircut, I'd be like, oh, well, shoot. Like, we haven't had a calendar meeting in a while. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's so dumb, right? <laughs> oh, and it. so I'd be like, well, I feel like before I can schedule a haircut, I need to hear from my husband a couple dates that would work, that he's going to be home in time or weekends. And it just really weird on me. I just hated it. It was very confining. So this new method of us sharing a Google Calendar, it's perfect. If he has something that's going to affect us as a family unit, he puts it on the family calendar. And I can see at any moment, and I can put things on the family calendar that when I need him to be home with the kids, and it's working out great. So I moved from paper to digital with my schedule. Now, here's the thing. I had an aha moment talking to my girlfriends recently that paper planners can move beyond your schedule. And Mm -hmm. yeah, like you guys are like, well, yeah, duh. Like, I don't know why (laughs) I never thought of that, but it didn't. I just didn't. So I haven't had like a daily planner to manage my days, to manage my to-do lists. And to be honest, I don't think I need a planner to do that for me. I don't think I need something to manage my every day. This might be part of my ESFP personality type. And Meg, you can tell me if this sounds typical, but like I don't have set days of the week where I do specific cleaning tasks. I don't have a Mm -hmm. set day where I go to the grocery store. I don't have anything that I track on a daily basis, like exercise or water intake or any other habits. Those are all things that I hear people talking about when they're talking about their planners. And I don't do any of that. <laughs> so, but I but do wait, have things do that have I have a, to do. Yeah, right? don't you have a to-do list? How do you, where I do you do. keep your to-do list? So previously, I would just like write like a big to-do list on like a piece of paper. Last year, when I was pregnant over the fall and Christmas, my son Isaac was born this past January. I was looking ahead at, okay, I have all these things that I need to do for baby prep. And then I have all of these holidays. And some and my daughter's birthday, like I have like some major things I need to work through and a baby. Uh-huh. So what I did is I kind of did like a big brain dump and like organized it. I had this little notebook. I had like, you know, titles at the top Christmas. And I wrote down every single little thing I needed to do for Christmas and the same for Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and then all the same things for baby things. And I have come to realize that this is kind of the structure of a bullet journal, perhaps? I was going to say, so basically, (laughs) you taught yourself how to bullet journal by accident, is what you did. (laughs) And I've organized goals for myself like that in that structure in the past where I have like a big project and then I break it down. I used to do a series on my blog called Insane Goals, and I would make a huge list of goals for myself for the entire year. And then every month I would check in on how well I was doing. 
And so I'm still following that same concept. I still have that notebook and I'm pulling it out from time to time. I don't use it consistently. It's not something I use every single day. I've started adding some things to it. Like, you know, I put in when I sent Christmas cards, I like made a list to be sure I got everybody that I needed that year. Usually I do that digitally. I don't know why I put it in there, but I did. I mean, I'm just not like super consistent, but that's pretty consistent for me. So schedule is digital. And then everything else is this like somewhat bullet journal-y type thing. Somewhat just whatever you're in the mood to do. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever feels good. That's the ESFP way. (laughs) Kelly, how about you? Are you one way or the other or kind of more of a hybrid like Rebecca? No, I'm all digital all the time. Oh, wow. And I do that for consistency, like what Rebecca was just talking about. But I also think it's because, Laura, wasn't it you that said one time, just do it right away? It's kind of a life motto or a year-long challenge to yourself. Are you talking about start where you are? Are you talking about my thing I got from getting things done method, which is if you can do it in two minutes, do it right then? Yeah, it's kind of that idea. So maybe it's a blending of the two. Because I feel like for me and my personality type, I have always loved lists. My brain thinks that way. So it was not a problem for me to write things down. Now, I would have some things on post-it notes. I would have some things on a notebook. Like it wasn't together in one spot. So it wasn't very well organized, even though it did a lot for my brain just to get it out of the cerebral and into the real world. But I feel like when I got an iPhone many years ago and realized that in notes, I could sync things across platforms. That was when the light bulb turned on for me because I thought this is where I can make my list and I can do things right away and it will be updated everywhere. So, you know, way in the days of yore, I'm sure I had a calendar. I did have a calendar on my wall. I still have a paper calendar on my wall that I make for myself from pictures of the last year I make, you know, for my husband. So I just make a copy for myself. I write nothing on it. I mean, it has birthdays on it just because they're already saved in there, but I don't write anything on it like I used to. Everything is digital. And I feel like what it's enabled me to do is to deal with things right away. If a project comes up, I write it down. If a note comes in of something that I need to remember to do, or you know, a, this is when the Girl Scout meetings are going to be this year, I write it down. It goes right into my calendar. And then I can access it everywhere. So I really do two things. People have sometimes said, how do you stay organized? And I'm like, my method is so simple. Just like Rebecca, I have a calendar. Now, I don't have any shared family calendars. I put it all on mine, and I have different categories for different events. My husband travels for work, so if I want to know when he's going to be in town or not, I check Delta. (laughs) So, (laughs) like, I, you know, we do talk about what the next month he thinks he's going to be here then or he thinks he's going to be. So I'll write down things. And I even have a whole category in my calendar that I tag as ideas. Like, Wait, I need to – can I just pause you really fast? When you're saying calendar, you're saying I write it in my calendar. Yep. Like – on your phone, do you have like a calendar app? Do you use the calendar that's yep. the native to the iPhone? I use the calendar, so you, yeah, the Apple's calendar app that goes across platforms. How do you enter ideas into that? So not ideas of things to do, but ideas okay. of events that are possible. So if Corey okay. says, I think I'm going to be going to D.C. for a board meeting from Friday to Monday, that's especially mm-hmm. notable because he's going to be gone over a weekend. I'm going to write in. Corey to DC, and I'm going to tag it. I have a whole category of what I call ideas, meaning they're not for sure, but this could be happening. Okay. 
So, okay. you know, some, okay. there might be a sleepover. There might be a party. I'm going to write it in just because then when I look at my calendar and somebody says, hey, can you do this? I can say, oh, well, I'm going to need to check to see if this other thing is really happening or not. But I then know if it's okay. something that's for sure or just something mm-hmm. that's a possibility. Okay. That makes sense. Yes. That makes sense. So that's what I do on my calendar. And everything goes on my calendar. Like, you know, my kids, obviously, they're at a busy age. So when they need to get picked up from drama, when they have swim teams, everything goes in there. And then I have a to-do list in my notes. And so that is where I'm keeping track of like the daily task sort of things. And every week or so, I don't have it. It's not like on a certain day, but I'll just go through and I will write headings of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, like the whole week. And I look at my calendar and I fill in all the things that are on the calendar. So those are the first things that go in. And then I always have a running list of projects, basically. So I see where those could get filled in or what days, then I can see at a glance what days are full because I have a lot going on that day for work or because I'm meeting somebody for lunch or I'll put in my workouts. You know, they're not on my calendar, but I will, as I'm filling out my to-do list for the week, I'll maybe put in working out then because then it's built in. And when I look at a day, I can see, are there eight things listed under Monday or are there just two? Hmm. So you basically have kind of created a planner, what most people would use as a planner in your notes app in kind of combination, like the big picture you keep in the calendar app. But in your notes app is where you keep your sort of running list. Yep. I have a to-do list. And I often say, and it's not really a joke. I said my to-do list is the boss of me because if it's on there, it will get done. I have enough motivation mm-hmm. always. It's when I first started to keep lists when I was probably in grade school to cross things off. So I'm not crossing it off. I'm deleting it. But I like that mm-hmm. I can delete it You know, when I'm standing in the checkout line at Target or I can delete mm-hmm. it when I'm at home or when I'm putting my kids to bed and I have my iPad. It's all updating. So if I remember something, and in fact, the advent calendar, I was in Target this weekend with my girls and I saw them on the shelves and I went, oh, I can't get it right now because I have kids mm-hmm. with me. But I wrote it down real quick on my to-do list because then I knew I would remember later to either go right. online or whatever or talk about it on the show. So mm-hmm. it really is the boss of me. And in notes, I also keep running lists of stuff that I need to do for work books to read. So I have other notes that aren't just cluttering it up. But I think it is a lot how people use planners. It just for me works really well to have it digital, because then I can put things in right away. I don't have to say, well, Mm. when I get home, or I've got to write this down over here and remember to get it back out of my purse to add it to my master list. I can do it literally right then. And I have to do it right then or else I forget. That is so fascinating to me and not how I do anything in my life. So... (laughs) I'd love to hear how other people do things, though. Now, Laura, I'm super curious about you because as long as I've known you back to our childhood, you have really had a penchant for beautiful pens and stationery and all kinds of paper goods, and you have gorgeous handwriting. So I'm so curious if that translates into your organizing life or if you're more like Kelly and you've gone all digital. No, I am a true hybrid of both. I have to have both. My personal planning mantra is compartmentalize as needed, a.k.a. the more complicated, the better. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, tell me more, I think. (laughs) I feel like my system looks really complicated on the outside, but for me, it works better to have everything live in its own separate space instead of the usual advice, which seems like, People are always saying that you need to simplify your systems and keep everything all in one place. Mm. 
I tried to do that for years and ended up just feeling like overwhelmed all the time. Like every time I opened up my planner or whatever I was using, all the information was all there in front of me all the time. And for me, that was overwhelming. It just got paralyzing. Okay. Okay. So now I've worked it out where everything is sort of sorted. Everything is in its own buckets, if you will. And it seems more complicated, but it actually is better for my brain. Like Kelly, I use Apple's native calendar app because it's just very straightforward and easy. It syncs so easily between my phone and my laptop, which are my main two devices. Also like Kelly, I'm a huge fan of being able to put something in my phone right when it pops up in life. So if I'm out with a friend and they're like, oh, let's schedule lunch next week, I put it in right away. Or a kid activity comes up like on my radar for the first time, I put it in right away and then I don't have to worry about it. It is there living in my main calendar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I also use the app Evernote daily for the same reason, because it also syncs seamlessly be- between all my devices, allows me to have a brain dump at all times. So Evernote, if you're not familiar with it, it's a notes app. It lets you have notebooks and the notes within the notebooks. So I have tons of different notebooks. Like, for example, I have a house notebook. So everything in my home, like I'll have a note for ideas of things I want to do for the house, or I have a note for things I need to buy to organize the garage, or I have a note for um, grocery store, you know, next time I go to the grocery store. Like all my notes that are house-related go in my house notebook within Evernote. But then I also have like a sort of awesome notebook in Evernote. And then it has a million notes within it, like show ideas, you know, social media ideas, whatever, whatever, and so on. So you can see I'm a big Evernote fan that also lives on my phone and on my computer. And I sync back and forth between it. I use it every single day. I feel a little bit like Evernote is my main brain of all the things. And then you know, the extensions of that are the calendar and then also my paper planner because that's the hybrid part. I also use a paper planner because I have to, but it's not a planner planner. I feel like the word planner is really loaded with, um, like, like I said earlier, people who have everything all in one place, like they have a, a planner, a big thick planner with all the things. Mine is not that. I use the nomadic planner for most of this year on your advice, Meg, and I loved the way that it is set up. You're looking at a week at a time, and then it's sort of broken out the priorities for your week and sort of shows you the steps that you're going to take to get there. I really liked that. The Nomadic Planner works the way my brain works, so I really liked that. Yay, good. But in the last month or so, I've gotten super overwhelmed because, you know, both my kids have birthdays. I had an anniversary. We have two podcasts. Like I really was getting a little overwhelmed with how much was going on in my life. So I started using the Inkwell Press Live Well Daily Planner. And I'll tell you why I love that because it's undated. So I can just use it on the days when I really need to prioritize. You don't have to use it every day, nor are you um, wasting a bunch of space on the days that you don't need it. So when I'm having a really overwhelming week, I have my stuff written down in the week layout of the nomadic planner. But if I just need one day to like really break it down, I'm using this Inkwell daily page. And because it's undated, I mean, 
I don't know how many pages are in there, but I could use it for a long time just on a case-by-case basis. But it is helpful for me to see a layout on a page of like um, the most significant things that need to get done that day, the important things that need to get done, and then the insignificant things that if you get to them, great. If not, it's no big deal. Writing it out like that for me, like really making clear priorities like that was helpful to see that I was sometimes skipping the most important things of my day and kind of getting to the easier things. Um, but those ended up being the more insignificant or the not as important things. So when I have it written down in one of my actual analog planners, I feel like I'm better able to um, understand what's important. So for me, it's like the digital world, the calendar, the Evernote, those are sort of like the big picture uh, sort of holds everything kind of information systems. But these things that I'm writing with my hands, with my black pen, those things are like the micro daily things that need to get done. And and using that system, again, using like a more complicated system, instead of forcing myself to simplify when that wasn't working for me, actually working with my brain and the way that my brain needed to work um, which I think from the outside looks more complicated, that's what's actually working for me right now. What about you, Megan? I have to say I am primarily analog, primarily pen and paper. I live and die by my planner. I do have to use um, online calendaring a little bit. We do use it as a as the sort of awesome team for scheduling episodes. But for the most part, I keep my planner with me everywhere I go. And I'm just like Laura said, I have to write things down. Um, And Kelly, you kind of referenced this and that you're like picking up your phone and typing things in. I'm just like such a slow phone typer and have the fat thumbs that make it to where I have all kinds of typos and I have to fix them. And (laughs) it's just so much easier. And I actually really deeply enjoy the act of kind of like writing lists. And so I do have my nomadic planner that I love. I fell out of love with it briefly at the beginning of the year because I felt like it did not have enough space daily for me to put everything in that I needed to accomplish that day. And it was very, it felt very unorganized to me uh, because I was, I had a whole bunch of stuff for sort of awesome. Smartest person in the room is in production. So I had things for that, plus just family and home life. And it was just visually overwhelming to me. But what I started doing after, so I I asked in our sort of awesome hangout group about planner recommendations. And then then I immediately was like, (laughs) Oh my gosh, this was a terrible, terrible thing to ask because I was looking at all the planners and I was like, oh, that would be great. Oh, that one looks awesome. And then it was very overwhelming. (laughs) The Inkwell is one that I saw mentioned a few times on that thread, Laura, and I think I'm going to try that one next when I'm done with this nomadic. But what I did for my nomadic was I bought some washi tape, some glittery washi tape. I have never been one of those people who does a lot of um, journal, pretty journaling in their planners and decorating with all of the things. But I bought some glittery washi tape and I used it to restructure the weekly spread in the nomadic so that it was using a lot of the white space on the page that I had not been using before. So now I have a running list going for Sorta Awesome, a running list for Smartest Person in the Room, a running list for Home Stuff. I have space for our weekly team meetings where we talk about issues related to the show, 
It has changed my life. Just some simple rolls of washi tape, you guys, completely renewed my love and passion for my nomadic planner. I love it so much. Another thing that I love about the nomadic is it has a ton of space in the back, just plain notebook paper for my bullet journal stuff. So that is where I keep my running list of like Christmas present ideas and books I want to read and all of that. And it's all together. Now I do, it's a little bit clunky. It's obviously bigger than carrying your phone with you everywhere you go. But I don't know. I just have really found that if I can keep that with me and use it to keep track of every thought that comes through my brain or deadline or whatever, that I can actually stay on track with my life. So I feel like an old lady saying that. I I feel like I should, in a lot of ways, catch up to digital organization for my personal life. But as you all have said, it's all about finding what works for each of us. So right. And I have to tell you, because part of my thing is my handwriting is atrocious. (laughs) I have carpal tunnel from years of typing really fast in newsrooms and then being pregnant and having things swell. So I literally can hardly read my own handwriting. So I think that's part of why I moved away. To write a card will make my hand hurt for like oh, half an hour. Oh, wow. So okay. like like I can't hold a pen very well anymore. Okay. So I'm so grateful. And so are my kids. Whenever I write something to them, they're like, Mom, really? Just type it to me. I don't know what you're trying to say here. <laughs> so I'm so grateful that I have these lists where I can write things down. Now, I do write a few things down, like a grocery list. I have a whiteboard in my kitchen. Yeah. But it is just about finding what works for you. And everybody's so different. Mm-hmm. The way our brains work is so different. I love what Laura said about, mm-hmm. you know, it sounds more complicated. But it works. So if it works, then yay. Yes. That's what when I made my weekly spread and my nomadic planner more complicated, that's when it really started working for me. So I I guess I'm fully embracing more complication. When it, at least when it comes to organization. So, all right. We know that you all have thoughts and opinions on all things digital life and digital decisions. So we want to hear from you on social media. Rebecca, remind us where we can find you all around the web. Well, you can find my blog at simplyrebecca.com where I talk about natural living, money-saving tips, parenting. And then you can find me all around the internet, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at simplyrebecca. Okay, Kelly, how about you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly at Lovewell. And on Facebook, you can find me at facebook.com slash Lovewell blog. All right. And Laura? You can find all of my channels at lauratremaine.com. And I send a monthly email out with recommendations for what to read, what to wear. Those are called the secret posts. All of it can be found at lauratremaine.com. Okay, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. Don't forget that the show is on Twitter as well at Sorta Awesome Pod. And you can always find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Thanks so much for listening, you guys, and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffer, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at SortaAwesomeShow.com where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at PragerMusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life Sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook Games.